We are so excited for our Christmas spectacular on Friday the 21st of December when we will be bringing both the 11am and the 6pm services together for one night only. We know that this is going to be a great opportunity to bring the people in your world to church. We're asking you to invite your friends to a Christmas spectacular that is not only going to give them an incredible, wonder-filled experience with carols and dance and awesome media production, but what if it also gives them a reason to think, maybe there is more to life, maybe there is a God who really cares. In the seats around you and on the tables in the foyer, there are these invitation cards and we would love you to take them, hand them out at work, at school, to your neighbours and your family. Let's be about everyone this Christmas church and invite your world. You know, um, I think that Christmas is one of those funny times of year, isn't it, where, where we get so busy with just so much stuff. I mean, there's so much to think about. There's so much to get organized. I mean, there's all the presents that you've got to buy. There's all of the gifts that you've got to wrap. We've got Christmas Day to organize and the dinner and who's going to come and who's not going to come and how are we going to tell them that they're not going to come. And we've got all of this stress and all of this tension that goes on around this extremely busy time called Christmas. And if we're really honest, I think that it can kind of be a distracting season, actually, because it's really easy when life gets so busy to actually forget about some of the things that should really be most important to us. And in fact, this can affect our Christian faith all of the time, because even though it's Christmas, it's our Christmas season, the bottom line is, is if we are a follower of Christ, it's so easy in and amongst all of the distractions to kind of forget the real reason for the season. And that's a little bit of a cheesy sort of saying, maybe you've heard it before, but I think it's so true. We're in week two of our current series, simply called Christmas Begins. And last week, we started to speak about this concept, this idea of maybe you weren't created for you. I mean, maybe when God, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of the entire universe, when his mind set to work in planning and creating and designing you, Maybe he didn't design you for the sole benefit of you, but actually, maybe you were created so that God could not only do great things for you, but that he could also work through you too. And that's a big concept to kind of get our head around, but we really believe that in this season, if we're really honest, it's the time of year probably when most of our church friends and family who don't ordinarily come to church, it's probably the time of year that that they're most open to an invitation to church. It's probably the time of year when people who don't follow Christ are most open to the conversation about the reasons why you follow Christ. So we really want to, I guess, just talk to the whole church about this idea of whatever you do in this season, just remind yourself to understand that God wants to work and do something through you, like remind yourself the real reason why we are here. You know, a couple of years ago, I was at a conference and it was over in Peterborough in this fantastic facility. It was a church conference and they had a number of motivational speakers there who were kind of doing their thing. It was a great sort of experience to be at. And at the end of this conference, on the last night, I'd been there for like three days, there was a message that was given, and it was all about like 
Are you ready to be used by God? You know, kind of like one of those inspirational messages that, that kind of want to make you just run out and change the world. And it was kind of like a, a challenge about, if you follow Christ, do you want to be used by God? And at the end of this meeting, the band got up to kind of do exactly the same thing that our band do. And they were kind of like creating this moment and the keyboard player was there doing their thing. And you just know that like God is real when the keyboard player starts to play. It just feels like, wow, is that the spirit of God or just the keyboard? Definitely the spirit of God, right? And it was like at the end of the night and the keyboard player starts and the guy that was on the stage started to speak about, you know, hey, look, come on. If you're really serious about God using you, why don't you just start to pray to God right now? Why don't you just start to ask that God would use you? And I just thought, you know what? I'm all in for this. I mean, like, I do not want to let this moment go by. I don't want to miss this chance, right? So, so I kind of stood up with a couple of thousand of people in the room, and we were all kind of just there in this moment. And the keyboard's doing their thing, and the guitarist's just like sounding like the Holy Spirit. And it was just like, this is incredible. And in that moment, I can remember just kind of like, trying to be as honest and sincere to God as I could really be. And I started to pray this prayer. God, would you use me? God, would you do something through me? But then as I started to pray this prayer, this other kind of thought entered my head. And maybe you've had this. It's kind of like a thought that makes you go, God would never want to do anything through you. Like God would never want to use you. So then as I started to wrestle with all of these thoughts in my head, I then thought that, well, I'm going to have to lay down some kind of a challenge to God, aren't I? Because if the guy at the front saying that God wants to use me, and if I'm going to believe that God really wants to use me, well, I need God to prove that to me himself. So I did this thing, and you know, don't tell me that you've never done it right, but I did this thing, and I was like, God, I really want you to use me, but I need you to give me a sign. God, I need you to like, just give me a sign. You know, some people I've heard do this before. People like reference it and they say like, you know, it's kind of like laying down a fleece before God. And some people on a perfectly hot day, they pray prayers like, God, I'll believe you if you'll just cause just one drop of rain to drop on my head right now. You know, or they say something like, God, if you just send an angel in the room to do a little dance in the corner, then I will believe you forever and know that you want to use me. And I was kind of doing exactly the same thing. I was like, God, you really want to use me? Would you give me a sign? And I am stood there, and this is the absolute truth. As I am stood there, I just started to feel this like cool air blowing on the back of my neck. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is such a holy moment for me. Because in the book of Acts, it talks about how when the Holy Spirit came, it came like a mighty rushing wind and I'm just stood there and honestly like I'm almost at the point of tears because I'm thinking I've never had this before this is insane it's like God you're real you're here and this is the sign and I was honestly I was like this is the best moment of my life I went home from the conference and I was like Em you won't believe what's happened but like you know how like, I'm always, like, not the experiential guy. Well, tonight I was the experiential guy. I was like, God, I'll believe you if you prove it to me. And I was praying this prayer that God would use me. And literally, as I'm stood there praying that God would use me, I could just feel 
this wind start to blow on my back. And Emma, she didn't actually say a great deal. She was kind of like, hmm, that's cool. Carried on cooking the tea. She wasn't that interested, right? But, but to me, it was like this landmark moment of feeling like God has chosen you. And I felt like this is incredible because like God must really want to do something through me, right? One year later, because I had such an incredible time at the first time I'd ever attended this conference, I booked on again and I was like, I am going back there. That is like incredible. I am. Get me back there. And on the very last night of the conference, having sat in multiple different places of the auditorium, on the very last night of the conference, I just thought to myself, you know what? I just want to mark this moment. I just want to go back and sit in that same seat where I was 12 months prior when I just felt God blowing on the back of my neck. I just want that again. So I took myself up in the rafters right to the back of the auditorium. And literally, at the end of the night, when the worship started to play and the keyboard started to do their thing, it was like, gosh, this is powerful, right? The guitarist was doing their thing. The the worship leaders were about to start singing. As everybody started to stood up, I could feel it again like this, just this cool air blowing on my back. And you know what? I even did this. I kind of looked behind me just to make sure that nobody had left the door open. And I was like, this is just the most incredible thing. Almost in exactly the same seat, positioned in exactly the same space. And then in that moment, as I've got my hands raised high, just worshiping God, feeling this, this God breath moving (laughs) down my body. I looked up and back. And I saw this great big air conditioning unit immediately behind me, blowing cool air on my back. And I am thinking like, I have felt like such a fraud for over a year. I thought you spoke to me, God. I thought this was the I choose you moment. God, this was my experience, right? This was my moment, God, where you proved to me that you were real and it was the aircon unit all the time. I mean, seriously, this is not helpful to me, God. In fact, this is frustrating me. You know, but the truth is, if you're anything like me, you've probably had those moments where you've kind of laid down the gauntlet for God to prove to you that he's real. Maybe you've even prayed a prayer that's kind of said, God, if you're going to be the one that I follow, if I'm going to trust that you're going to one day do something through me and not only something for me, then I need you to prove that you're real. And we say these all kind of random prayers, don't we? We say things like, God, I'll believe that you're real if you send somebody to walk across from the other side of the auditorium that's wearing a red hat that's got a really specific word just for me. We pray these prayers, don't we? Like, God, if you would only do this, then I'll believe that you're going to do something incredible in my life. We say things like, listen, God, if you would just deliver an envelope through my door that has been handwritten by the Holy Spirit with something that only I would know, then God, I will trust that you actually have a plan for my life. I'm going to trust that you want to do something through me and not only something for me. We say, God, if whilst I'm stood at the bush shelter, someone that I've not seen for 15 years and lives in another part of the country, if they walk in front of me right at that moment, then God, I'm going to believe that you're real and maybe at some point you would want to do something through me. But this causes us incredible difficulties 
because it's a really dangerous prayer to pray. Pray. And the reason why it causes us so many difficulties is because we can find that our faith life becomes rooted in this experiential box of God doing things for us or not doing things for us. And this is a problem because what we do, if you're anything like me, is you, you start to ask God to give you like these really specific moments, these really specific words where maybe he'll send the angels to prove something for you or he'll send somebody into your world to say something that's so specific, you know that they've in fact only been sent by God. And we, we, we play these mind games with God of like, God, if you just do this, then I'll believe that part of your character. If you just do this, then I believe that really you'll one day you'll want to do something through me. And it's such a problem. It's such a problem because what we actually start to do is we say, God, if you send me a word, then that actually means more to me than what you've already said in your word. Because what you can find in scripture is that there are countless scriptures and verses and multiple documents, multiple texts that will prove to you that God doesn't want to only do something for you, but he wants to work through you. I mean, you were created for way more than you think. You were not created to simply get education and get a job and get married. You are part of God's plan A, his master plan to be a representative of him and his love. No matter who you are or wherever your daily life finds you, God wants to use you to show the people that are friends and family in your world that in the same way that God loves you, he loves them also. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to what the Apostle Paul says, because I think he just paraphrases this excellently. And you don't need to wait for God to give you a word about this, because he's already spoken about it. And you can take this at face value. Paul says this in Romans 6, verse 3. He says, do not let any part of your bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning, but give yourselves completely to God, every part of you. For you are back from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God. Check this out. To be used for his good purposes. You know, I'm really appreciative to the Apostle Paul because I think that he has now given clarification to something that I have suspected for a long time. Because if you follow Christ, what Paul says in Romans is what I have thought, and that is simply this. Some of you wives have wondered this about your husband also. You are an absolute tool. (laughs) Paul tells us you are a tool. Listen, if you follow Christ, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. If we haven't offended you already, give me five minutes. I promise we will do soon. But here's the thing. Paul is like, listen, you've got to understand, right, that that you weren't designed and created just for you to live out your life in the way that you think. You were designed as a tool, as an instrument, as something that can fashion and carve and design goodness into the world in which you live in every single day. You are a tool. And he was kind of saying it to us like this, guys, just so you know, um, you're a tool either way. You know, you can follow Christ. Well, you're still a tool. You can not follow Christ. You're still a tool. And with your tooliness, you're going to either be used for good or for bad. He was saying, look, as an instrument 
of God, designed by God, created by God, you're going to be used in your life intentionally or not intentionally to do good works or not good works. And Paul is encouraging us. He's saying, make sure that you know the significance of who God has made you to be. You are a tool, an instrument to do good works. It was him saying this, now you know, and we spoke about this last week, now that you know that God has done something for you, it's time to let God work through you. If you follow Christ, and by the way, let me say this, if you're in church today just checking things out, I just want you to know that it's totally cool with us that you're here. In fact, we're delighted that you're here. We've built this whole church for people who historically maybe have no background or history of going to church or being a part of a church. We're so delighted that you're here. So I guess it's great for you because you get a little bit of a snapshot into what we really think life is like when you make that decision to follow Christ. It's awesome that you're here. But if you already have made that decision to follow Christ, what Paul is saying that that you are designed and created so that you can design and create and fashion and build and manufacture goodness into the lives of those that are around you so that your friends and family know that God is real. But without a doubt, there's many practical barriers and problems to being used by God. In fact, last week, if you weren't in church, you can grab the thing online and watch the whole thing back. But we spoke about this concept about how typically that there would be two main issues that we would all face. The first would primarily be this, that we would feel disqualified. Or secondly, we would feel unqualified. You know, the type of deal whereby we kind of think that God might be interested in us, but because of the way in which we've lived life previously, that God would not. Well, we completely discounted that one last week. Or often we feel unqualified, like we're not smart enough, we're not educated enough. I'm not the one on the platform doing the talk, so this mustn't apply to me. And God was like, hey, no, no, we, we, we discounted that all last week. So there are many practical barriers to us understanding how God can actually really use our lives. And another one is probably this thing that we're going to talk about today. You know, I was at a church a while back. And um, we were doing an event there. And at the end of the weekend, this guy came up to me and he said something which is not completely uncommon. But he said, you know, hey, listen, um, he called me pastor. And I was like, pastor who? I was like, my name's Luke. He's like, no, hey, listen, will you pray for me? And I was kind of like, okay, what can I pray for you for? And he was saying, well, the thing is, I want you to pray because um, I'm not all that happy in my life right now. And I'm like, okay, we can pray about that. He said, look, I'm not really happy with the way in which my, um, my marriage is going right now. And it's like, okay, we can pray about that. He said, well, the thing is as well, I'm really disappointed because my business is failing right now and I'm unable to make ends meet at the end of the month and it's the most frustrating thing. And then he said, you know, I, I, do, I go to church, not very often, but I go to church and now I think about it, I'm uh, frustrated that I don't really feel like my life counts for anything. I don't really feel like God's using me for anything. I don't really feel like I'm in the sweet spot of being used by God. And I'm listening to all of his complaints and it just started to go on and on and on. And what happened in the end is that he started to make this statement. He started to kind of say to me, he was saying like, look, I go to church, but I'm not happy with my marriage. I go to church and I'm so frustrated that I live like life broke all the time. He said, I go to church, but I'm so annoyed that the business is failing. 
I go to church and will you pray for me about my children because I'm so disappointed that one's doing his crazy thing, another one's doing his other thing. And he was basically like butt-ending every complaint that he had with the statement of, I go to church, but I'm so frustrated. He was like, I go to church and I'm just not happy. So I kind of interrupted and said to him, hey, listen, dude, um, just answer me this. Have you spoken, and they didn't call it life group like we would call life group. They called it a cell group. I said, have you spoken with your cell group leader about this? And he kind of said, well, the thing is, I, um, I don't really go to a cell group. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, listen, in the areas in church where maybe you're just involved, have you spoken with your team leader? And he's like, well, the thing is, is uh, I don't really serve in the church because I've tried a couple of things, but I didn't like that and I didn't like him. And that was really awkward. And I was like, okay, okay. So the more I was going on and he was telling me all of his complaints, I stopped him and I said, hey, listen, can you just answer me this one question? Like, how often do you actually go to church? And he was like, hmm. I think I probably get there maybe once every five weeks, maybe six weeks. And I just said to him, dude, you need to stop going to church. I mean, I know right now some of you are like, that is the best message I've ever heard in my life. I mean, seriously, you're nudging your wife and you're kind of like, you see, the guy at the front says we don't even have to come to church anymore. That's incredible. Well, listen, just, just hear me out for a few moments. I said to him, look, you have got to stop going to church. You are completely misunderstanding how this thing works. And he's kind of looking at me all confused. And I said to him, listen, you need to stop going to church. And rather than saying, I go to church, but I go to church, you need to start saying, I'm planted in the house. Because there is such a difference between saying, I go to church Versus saying, I'm planted in the house. There is a huge difference. And I'm not talking about like a heaven and hell issue. I don't want to like freak anybody out because, hey, you can follow God and never go to church. And I actually think you can still go to heaven. I think that's all totally a cool thing for me to say. But the bottom line is, if you only go to church like and do the bare minimum, like you turn up once every sixth or seventh week and you're not involved and you're not in connection with anybody and you're not relationally tight with people who have the same level of faith that you do. I promise you, you are never going to live the fulfilled life that God's got in store for you. There is such a difference between saying, I go to church versus saying, I'm planted in the house. And when we talk about the house, we're talking about the house of God. We're talking about the church of God. We've got a great big sign, haven't we, right, at the, at the doors of this place that just simply says, welcome home. Because we want people to be able to walk into this place, whether they've been to church ever in their life before, and feel instantaneously that they have found family here, that they are welcome. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 92. Because if you want to be used by God, it starts by being planted in the house, not simply going to church. So the psalmist writes this, Psalm 92 verse 12. He says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. This is all kinds of strange language to us. Let's be honest about it, but I'm going to break it down in just a moment. And verse 13 says, those, key verse for today, check this out. It says, those who are planted. It doesn't say those that frequent. 
It says, doesn't say those that visit, it says those that are planted in the house of the Lord, in the church of God, shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. It's a promise. I mean, this is just incredible, right? Just, just kind of lean in and listen close for a moment. This is a promise from God. He says, look, if you want what you say you want, and everybody wants the same thing, if we're honest about it, we kind of, we want to live a flourishing life, a growing life, something that's progressive, heading in the right direction. We want good family, good relationships, children, finances, business. We want a flourishing life. We want to be used by God, feel like that we're here for a purpose, feel like that what we do makes a difference in the world. Well, God was like, look, you, you can have all of that, and it's called flourishing. But the key to flourishing in life is not going to church. The key to flourishing is choosing to be planted in the house. It's interesting to me that, that it's so different. You know, being planted in the house is not like going to church. Because you can go to church in the same way that you go to the movies, or you go to a football game, or you go out to eat at a restaurant, or you go on holiday, or you go here, or you go to town, or you go to shopping. Going to church was never supposed to be like that. In fact, you were called to be part of a family. You were called to be part of a family with purpose, understanding that as an instrument or a tool, designed and created by God that you can influence the world around you positively like no one else could. In fact, you can do that better than anybody else when you play the role that God has designed you to play and God's created you for. So the idea that this writer in the book of Psalms kind of says that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, I mean, we don't see many of them in the UK, and that he shall grow like the cedar of Lebanon. The fact that he would even reference these different and particular types of trees for me is quite interesting. And I promise you this, whenever you find things in the scriptures, in the Bible, it's always there for a reason. It's not like, you know, the writer was just trying to be creative. I promise you, if you dig deep enough, it's always there for a reason. So when the writer was saying, by the way, this is the result of being planted in the house of the Lord, that you, that you will flourish like a palm tree, that you will grow like a cedar. What's interesting is this. Cedar wood was actually, and um, here's a little bit of Bible knowledge. I'm about to send some of you to sleep, and this will infuse others. But a little bit of Bible knowledge would say that Solomon in the Old Testament, he was the guy that actually built this thing that was called the temple. It was like an old school type of church. What was interesting was that he built the roof entirely out of cedar wood. So you've got to ask yourself the question, well, why did he use cedar? And then why did the psalmist, when he's talking about living a growing life, did he reference that your life, when it's planted in the house of the Lord, shall grow like that of the cedars of Lebanon? Well, I'll tell you why right now. It's because cedar was known for its strength and its durability. In other words, I think the writer was trying to convey to us this idea that, listen, if you want to live a flourishing life that's able to withstand the storms of life, the ups and downs of life that happen to each and every one of us, then your life needs to look like that of cedarwood. It can carry a lot of weight. It's the load-bearing tree. It's strong and it will last and it is durable. And he's saying, look, if you want a life like that, that has strength on it, that has fruit on it, that can grow and be strong, 
then it starts by being planted in the house, which is very different, and we'll get onto it shortly, than simply saying, yep, I go to church. But then the second thing he kind of conveys is he sort of says that your life shall flourish like that of the palm tree. Interesting that the palm tree was the symbol of triumph. In fact, that in Corinth, when the first Olympic Games were used, there weren't any gold ribbons or gold medals that were given out. If you were victorious and successful, you would be given a palm tree or a palm branch, not a big tree. That would be a bit heavy on your back, right? But you'd be given a leaf, a branch off the palm tree. It was symbolic of being triumphant and victorious. You know, listen, if you want to live a triumphant and victorious life, that's what a flourishing life actually looks like. It doesn't start by going to church. It starts by being planted in a house. Do you know that the palm tree is, is one of the only trees that stays green all year round? Like, non-dependent of the season that the tree exists in, the thing stays green. I think that the writer was trying to convey that same thing with us. It's kind of like, if you want your life to feel stable and like able to weather the seasons that come in all of our lives, well, it starts by flourishing like the palm tree, which occurs when you choose to be planted in the house of the Lord. But the whole idea and concept that we should be planted in the house of God rather than simply visit or go to a church, you've got to understand that it comes from the idea that I think that the writer would say the same thing that Paul would have said, that not only were you wanted to be used by God, but your life is like that of a seed. I mean, it can do good or it can do bad, but your life is like that of a seed. And sometimes you've got to ask yourself, well, where are you going to plant your seed? Because you're going to plant it somewhere. You know, for me and my family, we've always pretty much chosen to plant it in the house of God. You know what's never been a question in our house? Kind of two things. We've never turned around to our kids one day and said, hey, kids, do you think it would be a good idea if we eat today? Like, we've just never offered that up as a question, you know? It's just a given that that's what we're going to do. That's the way that we're going to take our day. At some point, we're going to eat and demolish some food, right? But you know, the second thing that we've never had as a topic of conversation in our house is we've never turned around and said, you know, hey, do do you like think that we should even bother going to church today? It's just never even been a topic of conversation. Now, I get it. You can say, well, you're bound to say that because, you know, you're the guy on the platform right now. Of course, you're going to say that. No, no, seriously. We've only ever really done two churches in our life, and this is the second one. And the first church that we were in, we were just there serving our hearts out for like 17 years or something crazy. And honestly, even then, we've never had the conversation like, do you even think that we should go to church? Is that even what we want? Because we're committed to simply being planted in the house of God. And it doesn't look like we just turn up once every six or seven weeks to show faces or keep up appearances with God as though that, that getting into heaven was like a tick box. No, no, you, you can never come to church again and you'd still get into heaven simply by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, but it's not going to lead you to live in a flourishing life being used by God. That happens when you choose to be planted in the house because your life is a seed. You know, some people say, you know what, I'm not going to do the whole being planted in the house of God thing because I'm just going to do church online. And hey, listen, we do that too, and you can go on YouTube and watch services online, you know, and that's kind of cool and that's awesome. But let me tell you, with our kids, every now and then, then I'll leave them a voice message or I'll send them some kind of voice memo type of thing. But as great as that is, I promise you, it's nowhere near as good as sitting down with everybody around the table. Like, it doesn't really compete. And I think it's the same in church. 
If you think that you can kind of just do church by watching social media and watching some podcasts and downloading some videos, honestly, I'm not saying that you won't benefit from that because I think you will, but it won't lead to you living a flourishing life because a flourishing life happens when you choose to be planted in the house and simply not choose to go to church. Being planted in the house causes you to be used by God and live a flourishing life. So I guess this, this is the question that we want to kind of answer as we wrap this up. What happens when you choose to be planted in the house? Well, firstly, when you choose to be planted, your roots are going to grow deep. Do you know what's different about being planted in the house versus simply going to church? Like you're relationally connected with a bunch of people who have a similar faith to you. When you're relationally connected, it means that not only do you see people once every five or six weeks, it's like these are family. These are friends-like family that celebrate with you in the highest of moments and cry with you in the most difficult and challenging seasons of your life as well. When your roots grow deep, not only are you relationally connected, but when you're planted in the house, you probably will end up serving in some way. Because when you understand what God has done for you, It's like, how can you deny what God wants to do through you? There comes a point where we go, God, somehow, somewhere, I actually want to give back to you also. So when you're planted in the house, your roots grow deep. And you know, when your roots grow deep, that's when your life starts to grow tall. You ever notice that with the trees? The tallest of trees always have the deepest and the widest of roots. Do you know what a lot of us want? And and I've been the same too. A lot of us want really tall lives with like no deep roots at all, but it's just not the way it works in our world and it's not the way it works in our faith either. I don't think the devil minds, and I know that we're in this kind of funny season right now because we we don't really talk about the devil. It kind of feels a little bit alien to us as a church because the scriptures teach us that the good things of God cause people to change. So we're always going to talk about the good things of God. We want to talk to people about how God really not only knows them and loves them, but wants a real and authentic relationship with them. We want people to know that God is real and is intrinsically interested in who every single individual is. But the reality is, is that we do have an adversary. I don't think though, I don't think that the devil would, would, would care two hoots if you simply go to church. In fact, I think that'd be a great thing for you to do in terms of how he would think. He would have a vested interest in you not being planted though. Because when you choose to be planted, not only does your life grow tall and flourish, but you start to make an impact for the very kingdom of God. When your life is planted in the house, God starts to work through you. So what else happens when you're planted? Well, secondly, you start to produce fruit. Seed that is planted will produce fruit. So I wanna bottom off things and say this, if you feel like your life's not counting for much, if you feel like you're not sure that God's using you or doing anything constructive through your life, I just want to ask you, are you planted in the right environment? Is your seed planted in the house of God? Because a byproduct of being planted in healthy soil is that there will be fruit hanging off the trees of your life. So what happens when you're planted? Your roots will grow deep and you will produce fruit. In closing, the tallest of trees that have the deepest of roots, what you will find is that their roots didn't grow and develop overnight, but actually they've been 10, 20, 30, even longer years all in the making. So my challenge to us today, no matter where life finds you, 
is that if you want to live a flourishing life like that that would be representative of cedar and the palm tree, if you want that for your world, it's probably going to start by making a decision today that's going to really positively affect your future. It's not the kind of thing that you go right today and by four o'clock, God, I want to see the whole thing. It's kind of like, no, no. If you want to have your life looking like a tall and strong and durable tree, it starts by making a decision today that is going to positively affect your future. So make that choice. Because in closing, do you seriously think, and this is just me being honest, do you seriously think that you can live a flourishing life doing all that God has called you to do by not being planted in the house? I mean, honestly, I mean, come on. Come on. You think that that can happen? You think that that's the way that God works? It's just not the way that it is. You think that you can live a flourishing life by, by just doing the whole I go to church versus that I'm planted in the house of God thing? It's just not scripturally the way that it works. So in this Christmas season, our prayer For our whole church, not only at the 11 right now, but at the six o'clock later on, our whole prayer for our entire church family is that we would be committed to being used by God, but by understanding that God uses those that are planted in his house. 